Hello and welcome to another episode of Below the Fold, where gurus are gone, content is king, and where the macro conversions have taken the place of the Facebook likes as the marketing metric of choice. My name is Jacob Perry. Today I'm joined by Brandon Hassler. What's up, my man? Hey, that's my line. That was your line. Well, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for asking. Let me introduce you to this episode's sponsor. It's 97th Floor, an award-winning Moz-recommended digital marketing agency located in Lehigh, Utah, and Orange County, California. They're known for driving bottom-line value results for clients like Pluralsight, Dell, and Salesforce. Visit 97thfloor.com to learn more. Uh, We're going to change things up a little bit today. Uh, we're gonna start. We're we're just gonna jump into current events. I'm gonna do some quick flash headlines, and then we're gonna jump into the main portion of this week's episode. Let's get started. So, what's happening in the world today? Snapchat rolls out sponsored 3D World lenses. That's AR for advertisers. That makes no sense to me. None? 3D World advertisements? 3D World lenses. Have you heard about this at all? No. All right. I wasn't planning on going into this, but (laughs) this is pretty cool. So they have two main sponsors that are like the first advertisers in this. And it's basically uh, you turn on your camera and you have um, AR. Yeah. Right? So Budweiser is one of them, and the other one is Warner Brothers. So Budweiser, their ad is basically you just pull up your camera, and it shows this cartoon uh, beer vendor, kind of like someone you'd see at a baseball game, just like grabbing beers out of his little chest that's hung around his neck, and he's just like holding them out, and you can walk around him. And see him kind of just on the street corner in your office, wherever you are. And it just shows him like in in 3D, you can walk around him. Warner Brothers is doing it around Blade Runner uh, 2049. So the new movie that's coming out basically shows one of the uh, cars that they have in that uh, that movie flying around. Hmm. Interesting. It's sponsored 3D World Lenses. Vimeo launched live streaming. Saw that. Yeah, they they're acquiring a company called Livestream. Heard of them? You have. Yep. All right. Twitter is testing 280 character tweets. Tried it, didn't work. Yeah, it's it's not really it's not out for everybody. But here's the problem: is they make it look like you can do to it. I started typing out a tweet, and they have like the new like circle bar that just slowly builds up. And I had a tweet that was 280 characters perfect, wasn't over limit. So it may, allowed me to do that. Like it and didn't then when show I hit, the red characters like yeah, it usually not does. until I hit 281. Then it was negative and yeah. all that. And then I go to hit tweet. And it's like, your account cannot do, uh, or it's like 280 is not supported. So it's like, why did you not yeah. just tell me 140 then at the beginning? Dang, so, that's super weird. Yeah. And finally, Instagram hits 2 million monthly advertisers, which is doubling their number from six months ago. Instagram, you say? Instagram. Ooh. Do you know how many advertisers Facebook has? A lot. Five million. Five billion? Five million. Five million advertisers. Five million advertisers. Instagram just hit two million, doubling it from six months ago. It's kind of the same, though. Like, I'm surprised it's not higher. 
because you're building your Facebook ad, and then it's like, do we show it on Instagram? So too? like one little radio button that people aren't using. To yeah, get it on Instagram. It's like there's three million people that are like, screw you, Instagram. Yeah, this is Facebook only ad. Well, I don't know. Instagram is who cares? Anyway, <laughs> that is what's happening in the world this week. In this week's episode, we're going to go back to something we did at the very end of season three, and that is digital marketing roulette, where we select 60 questions, each categorized in three different categories, social media marketing, email marketing, and content marketing. We have not prepared answers for these questions. We're randomly going to spin a roulette ball and it will select which question we sele- we read, and then we'll throw it out, and we will answer the questions. These 60 questions are gathered as the most frequently asked questions in digital marketing. Are you ready, Brandon? I'm ready. You guys can't see this, but we've got one giant roulette wheel here. That's we right. We've got to get it customized to fit all 60 questions. That's right. And we spent a fortune... On this wheel. Yep. Okay. Brandon, uh, we have 20 questions per category. I've numbered them. We have not prepared answers to these questions. You haven't even seen them. Let's roll the wheel, roll the ball, and see what question comes up first. Let me go ahead and uh, spin this ball. I'm nervous. Yeah. Looks like we have got 23. 23. That's going to be an email marketing question. Uh, and Brandon, I feel like you've got a pretty good handle on email marketing. I'm looking I try. To this. It's one area I'm looking to improve. All right. Sorry. This is all on paper. If I did this digitally, it'd be better. But question number three, sorry, question number 23, and this is an email marketing. Can I buy a list? When I'm just starting out with email marketing, what do you think, Brandon? Uh, can you or should you? I guess. Oh, that's is a, a clarification. Yeah, that's good. Can you? Yes. Uh, should you? Maybe. I lean towards no. Why? Mainly because I mean, if you have access, someone's going to sell you a list, and these people on there have agreed to it. There's nothing legally wrong, and it's right up your target demographic. Then maybe. Uh, but again, these are people who. It's not going to be anywhere near as valuable as people who have opted in to your newsletter or email funnel. And so you're not going to get a a list of a thousand people that sign up through your website versus a list of a thousand people you purchased. You're not going to see near the results. Yeah. But if people, I mean, you just mentioned a thousand people who leave their email address on your website. I mean, how long could that take? Could take a while, but. I think uh, I don't think if you're that small where you're needing to buy emails, I don't think email is your problem. I think you need to start with social or yeah, but email content. addresses are so cheap. Mm, yeah, but they're not that qual. Like, what's you might as well pay for some traffic to your some stumble upon traffic to your blog post. Do you think stumble upon traffic is equally as qualified as uh, purchased email lists? Uh, no, I think it's less valuable than a purchased email list. <laughs> well, uh, so I'm I'm mostly playing devil's advocate here. Email lists, uh, typically you can purchase email lists that have been filtered and qualified for your specific industry. Like, like I, I've purchased lists 
in the past. Uh, when I was at Myriad Genetics, we found companies that had aggregated lists of physicians, right? Because that was our target audience. We wanted to send emails to doctors. And, and with the provider we were using, we could specify which specialty. We want oncologists only. And they said, fine, here it is. And they give us 30,000 email addresses that went specifically specifically to oncologists. If you can get a list that is super, super qualified, meaning exactly the audience you're trying to reach, does your opinion change? How much are you paying for that 30,000 list? I don't remember. What's the going price on average per email? Uh, I think it was around 80 cents. I still $1. lean. thirty, maybe. I still lean no, and here's my alternative. I would rather take that money and pay a, a company who has an active list that matches my demographic and essentially do a sponsored email to where it's their voice, their endorsement, and you have those users trust with a brand that they're already knowingly subscribed to, then push it over to, if you want to learn more about this, our friends over at XYZ Company can help you out. Yeah. Uh, no, I that's think, what I would do. Yeah, I think that's good advice. Uh, really, if you have the budget, I would do both. But I think there's an element that we haven't even talked about. We've been talking about click. Uh, we've been talking about effectiveness of your messaging to a specific random list of people who have not opted into receiving emails from you. Uh, the downside could potentially be if you your spam score, right? So every company has a spam score attached to their specific email addresses or to their IP specifically. And if you purchase a list and you send it out to thousands and thousands of people and you get a, a pretty significant amount of those people uh, unsubscribing or marking it as spam, then your company could be blacklisted. And there are, mul- there are, you know, there are several different kind of blacklists out there, different companies who maintain these lists of companies that are kind of blacklisted. And when you get on that list, when you start sending emails out, you potentially can go straight to their spam folder, uh, which is something you definitely, definitely don't want. So there's there's definitely risk, right? Uh, you can pay for a list. Uh, I think there are some elements. Uh, there are ways that you can do it illegally and ways that you can do it legally. Uh, there are certain companies that basically do the marketing for you. They solicit people's email addresses, and those people give permission to receive marketing materials from specific industries. Uh, So I think there are some reputable ways that you can do it. You've got to be really, really careful, though, because you don't want to mess with that spam score. Just thought of a business idea. Feel free, anyone listening, to take this. But I just thought, if if you're really good at building like opt-in forms, Maybe you build a bunch of different white papers around a bunch of different industries. Uh, dental, uh, it's a it's a little five-chapter book that you write on things you don't know or whatever about finding the perfect dentist. It's, it's not backed by any company, but then you have that list that you're then selling to dentists saying, hey, I've got this form uh, where people are opting in to get this book. They have, have agreed that they can be contacted by third-party companies you can have access to this list. Then you do another one for uh, marketing tips and you hit up marketing agencies. And lawyers and Your whole business and... is collecting and selling email addresses. Are, are you suggesting that that's an original idea? No. Oh, okay. But if you're good at marketing and you have confidence in your abilities to 
build email addresses. Easy way to make money. Cool. So that's question 23. Why don't we roll the ball and move on to the next question? That was a good roll. Yeah, that was a good roll. Kind of hurt my wrist. No. Careful with the carpal tunnel. (laughs) We have got 59. 59. Wow. That's going to be a content marketing question. Ooh. Question number 59. How do I get people to read my content? Starting with you first. Sure, I'll start. So how do you get people to read your content? This is a question about distribution. How do I get more eyeballs on the content that I'm creating? There are easy ways, which are paid, right? You can always put money into social media advertisements, boosting posts. You can uh, do it through your email campaigns. You can create newsletters that kind of aggregate the content that you're doing. You can also do content partnerships where you reach out to third-party publications and you say, hey, I've built this piece of content. I think your readers would uh, benefit from this. And then you kind of just reach out to different advertisers, excuse me, publications and say, hey, is this something you'd be interested in? And once someone says yes, then you have this content partnership and you publish it through their site. And now you have their readership also getting their eyeballs on, on, on your content. Those are just three. I think that was three. Three things that you can do to get more people reading your content. Probably the best thing you can do, though, is uh, create good content. Ooh, that was like a Seth Godin quote right there. Oh, man. First of all, I'm offended. Second of all, <laughs> there's no second of all. What do you think? How do you get people to read your content, Brandon? Um, so first, it starts with the obvious, and it's uh, I think a lot of people overlook it. It's look at all of your current communication channels that you have set up already, uh, social, email. Oftentimes, when someone writes a blog post for their company blog, let's say, they, their immediate thought is social media. Tweet this out, share it on Facebook on Friday. Uh, let's get a LinkedIn post going, drive some traffic to it. And that's it. They don't really think about email. They, a lot of people think about email as like, oh, that's our sales funnel. That's, we're trying to sell products there. That's a great channel to blast out an email Thursday morning and say, check out our new guide. Uh, here's a link to it. So a lot of times you have a lot of value with your existing channels. Also, if you have a decent sized team, uh, encourage them to share it on their profiles, depending on, you know, if it's a B2B article or something like that, LinkedIn might be a great place. So start with what you have, look at the assets, map those out. Second off, if you are, if it is content that is not like in a super competitive market, I would look at search terms, like try to optimize it for search as best as you can. A lot of people don't think about that. They think about optimizing their sales pages, but not necessarily blog posts. So uh, try to create content that can not just get that initial blast, but it is also able to rank for search terms, you know, three months, six months, 12 months down the road. And uh, if, if, you, if you don't have that, if you are in a competitive space and or you don't have a huge audience on social or you don't have much of an email list, then you might have to suck it up and pay a little bit on Facebook. Facebook's a great place, in my opinion, to share content not necessarily you're selling a product, although people do that very well on Facebook, but Facebook is a great place to promote articles and content, target the right people. And honestly, what I'm seeing, what I follow a lot of publications on my Facebook feed and the posts that I see a lot are the ones that it's all about engagement, in my opinion, with Facebook. And so the companies that are good about getting traffic to their blog, they, they don't just link to it on Facebook and say, here's the latest with this story. 
the Facebook post in a, in of itself encourages engagement. Maybe they'll say something a little controversial or they'll say, uh, maybe they'll throw a quote in there. Like they, they really thrive on getting, getting a reaction out of people and getting them to comment. And then that alone is going to send signals to Facebook and your post is going to get way more organic reach than you would if you just linked to the story with a basic caption. So that's one way if you're trying to avoid paying for Facebook traffic, take that organic reach. And Facebook doesn't necessarily care how good your content is. They care that people are engaging with the Facebook post itself. So you almost kind of have to look at Facebook post and the article as two separate content pieces. Hmm. The last thing I would say is optimize your headline. Did you already say something like that? Uh, I did not. You can te- you test your headline. So there's a term in digital marketing we use called clickbait, which is different from linkbait. Linkbait is uh, crap. Clickbait is actually a pretty good tactic where you are are testing into getting people to click through to your content, which gets. No, you're Did thinking of the up? other way around. Yeah, you're right. Thinking link bait. Link if bait it, is if good. If people are linking to it, you can't really trick. Like <laughs> clickbait right. has it bad because you can trick someone right. into clicking. If you trick someone into linking, you're a genius. Yeah. Like, that's how did true. I accidentally create that hyperlink <laughs> with that anchor text? Yeah, that's true. Ah. Uh, yeah. So, clickbait, you're right, does not have great connotation, but it does get people to uh, view your content a lot more. Yep. And you see it on uh, YouTube, too. And I've seen a lot of discussions of uh, there are certainly the clickbait thumbnails, um, but you can still take the tactics that work on those clickbait thumbnails. And as long as you deliver, then no one gets pissed off. And so, um, like, don't go into bait and switch. Right? Yeah, like, look at my $1 million home. And then you go on and you actually watch it. Just, I wish I could afford this, but, man, wouldn't that be so cool? That's a clickbait thumbnail versus I just bought this $1 million home and you actually bought it. That's an attractive thumbnail and you're telling the truth. Yeah. There kind of go. obvious, but to some people, that's rocket science. If you haven't, bought, if you haven't purchased a $1 million home recently, I wouldn't... Uh propose doing that all right on to the next question see what we got here Ooh, 36 36 that's going to be another email marketing question love it how do i write a good subject line uh test 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 there are sneaky ways that get clicks. There's clickbaits. I believe clickbait exists in the email world. Of course well, it does. One tactic is the uh, RE colon. Dude, people do that to me all the time. What's your opinion of it? I think it's stupid. Does it catch your attention though? I mean, I guess you're recognizing it. Well, yeah, I'm recognizing So, Do you click on it? I, I read almost every, sorry, I click into and start reading pretty much every single email I get regardless of whether it's kind of a salesy email or not, I've learned that the thing that pisses people off the most is when you ignore them completely. Um, what pisses the sender off? Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. You're saying someone's looking at their metrics and there's they send 1,000 emails and there's 99 open and one didn't and they're like, that guy didn't even open the email. Well, I probably I, I don't know what the percentage is, but I would guess that over eighty percent of the sales emails that I get personally 
have follow-up emails like where they're like jacob hey here's my in. spiel and then they and then like two or three days later hey not sure if you saw my email but blah 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 and then a few a few days later hey i've been sending you emails am i talking to the wrong person and i'll get i'll get five six emails from somebody and towards the end you can like there's like this pissed off sense in their email where they're like did i do something wrong yeah you know <laughs> anyway so so those uh, don't work for you like no the uh, the third email you're like ah i got to get back to this lady no never that never happens no 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 i like take pleasure in just moving <laughs> on to the next email i'll tell you there has been one email sales email that has gotten me to to respond it actually wasn't the email i should say the sender so this this girl it was actually a local company called centro uh i they they work in the the paid advertising side of things but she sent me i don't know two or three emails and then and then she sent me a package like in the mail. And so our mailroom called me up and said, "Hey, you got a package." I was like, "That's weird." So I go and I pick it up, I open it up, <clears throat> and it's got a University of Utah like hat, like a baseball hat. And it has like a, a some swag, some Centro swag and like a notebook or something like that. And she did her research to find out that I went to the University of Utah and kind of sent me a, a handwritten note saying, hey, you know, I've been trying to reach out, blah, blah, blah. And within five minutes of receiving this package, I called her. She left her number in the little note. I called her and I said, hey, at the very least, I can give you five minutes. And then she said, uh, yeah, we do uh, paid, blah, blah, blah. Uh, are you the, the PPC manager? I was like, nope, but I can put you in touch with them. She's like, okay. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't even want to talk to me. But uh, yeah, she sent me a package. Keep that in mind. If you want to get, if you're a salesperson who's cold emailing people, send them a package. So I will. Uh, I will say. In terms, the original question was how to write a good subject line. Subject line. Two tips. One is I've noticed more success when it comes from a person, not a company. Uh, and surprisingly, from my own small surveys, plus a lot of data that I've seen from other bigger case studies, people prefer the name at company. So there's Jacob Perry, there's Vivint, or there's Jacob at Vivint. And surprisingly, a lot of people like the Jacob at Vivint, especially if they're already familiar with the company. They're like, oh yeah, I do business with Vivint, so I want to open this. That's not the subject line. That's not the subject line, but it's right next to the subject line. I think a lot of times I look at that before I even look at the subject line, just to determine like, is this an ad or is it a person reaching out? And as far as the actual subject line itself, I would say be as descriptive as possible. And this the emails are becoming very similar to articles, articles that were like the uh, you won't believe what's inside that worked a long time ago. Nobody's clicking on it now. They want to know exactly four guys arrested for doing this at midnight in this town. I want to know more. Uh, whereas back in the day, they wouldn't do that because that's spoiling the story. I'll give you an example right here. I was just going through my inbox while you were talking, finding a, uh, an, an email that I would not have clicked on, but I only clicked on for this one. And ironically, it's from ConvertKit, sporting their shirt right now. Mm. And they are an email marketing company. Looks good. So maybe I'm an idiot for calling them out, but I think this is a not a good email. The title or the subject line is 2,000 creators like you can't be wrong. I wouldn't click on that. I would just archive it. But when I actually, okay, I'm going to click on it. I look through it. Basically, they're launching a four-week online masterclass that will make you a email expert. 
Honestly, if it was introducing our four-week email masterclass, I would have been way more likely to click on it because I know exactly what I'm getting. So I hate the very vague So what titles. you're saying is they're, they're getting too creative for their own good. They're yeah, putting too much of, time into like, how do we get people to open this Yep. without telling them what's in it? I feel like email is like three years behind where blogs are. Like they're looking at BuzzFeed thinking, we got to start doing this. And that was BuzzFeed 2012, man. You got to move on. What's BuzzFeed doing now? That's a good question. BuzzFeed, I don't see their stuff anymore, ever. Yeah, I don't really either. Is that because they've been banned from Facebook? Well, I think they're taking a more serious, they're trying to become more of like a, an actual news outlet. Anyway, that's my advice. Whether I'm wrong or not, I don't know. No, I think you're right. Being descriptive, I think, is better. Okay, let's move on. What's the next uh, number here? Hmm, let's see. Hmm. Is it going to land in the same place? Oh, close. 34. 34. And this thing is really favoring email, isn't it? <laughs> All right, 34, email marketing. Which metrics should I be looking at? Email marketing? Yep. So I'll start this one. Email marketing... You should be looking at, there are two metrics that I think are the biggest in email. Actually, I'm going to say three. The top two would be click-through rate and open rate, right? And those two metrics you can use, and and by measuring those, you can see which, these are the metrics you're looking at for subject line, right? If you're A-B testing your subject line, then you want to look at open rate because your subject line is going to directly affect your open rate. In fact, open rate is almost always attached to subject line. There's also the from, right? And then the kind of short, what do they call that? Uh, the short description or the snippet. First, yeah, the little snippet, almost like preview the, text. The pre, that's it. So they give you the preview text, the subject line and the from line. Brandon talked a little bit about the, the from line. The subject line affects mostly your open rate. If your open rates are low, 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 then you need to improve your subject line. Could also be because you're spamming the crap out of people that you're just not hitting spam folders. Yeah, that's true. Could be. Uh, The other one is click-through rate. So open rate measures how good your subject line is. Click-through rate measures how good your actual content is and your calls to action, right? Because click-through, you should never send an email that doesn't have a call to action. And calls to action are almost always links that you click through. So... Open rate, click-through rate. The third metric that I don't think gets enough attention is your unsubscribe rate. So that's something you want to keep a really close eye on, not necessarily because of any spam score, but because if people are unsubscribing at a higher rate, that's telling you that the content that you're providing is not valuable enough. What would you add to that, Brandon? Uh, that's good. I have a follow-up question. If oh. you have, It <laughs> seems like the two top ones are open rates and click-through rates, right? Yeah. If you had to pick, what's the if you could only measure success by one metric, what would it go off of? Would you would you favor open rates over click? Yeah. Interesting. I kind of lean towards the click-through rate. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, you're getting opens, that's great, but are people actually clicking? I don't know. They're both it's tough. I could I guess I could argue with myself. Well, for open, days. open rate in in my mind, well, signifies interest. Yeah, I was just going to say both I think both could measure each other's at a smaller 
rate, if that makes sense. In other words, if, if your open rate, if you're just measuring your open rate and it's consistent or it's consistently going up, then that's a pretty good indicator that people are engaging with your email. Engagement meaning they're clicking through to the content beyond what the email contains. On the, on the same kind of vein there, if you're just measuring click-through, then and your click through is going up or maintaining or whatever that also tells you at least people because people can't click through until they open so you know that every person that clicks through also opened the email so it's kind of attached so i don't know maybe click through is better because it does give you like a hundred percent of the people who click through opened yeah right maybe that is better let me give you two scenarios then you have two campaigns running one has an 80% open rate, but a 10% click-through rate. The other has a 10% open rate, but an 80% click-through rate. Which was the more successful campaign? How many people? We'll say it went out to 1,000 people. Both of them went to 1,000? Yep. Uh, I would say the 80% open rate is better. I guess you got to do the math, and how many clicks did that result? So 10% of 80 percent that's uh, 80 people went through well, the website right eight, no 80% of 1000 is your open rate With right 800 people 800 people 10%, 10% of, that. of that is 80 so, so 80% or 80 people clicked through yeah by the way a freaking 10% click through rate is that's very insane <laughs> uh, I, I was going to go with 20 and like that's too high yeah and then if you had 1000 people 10% of 1000 it's 100. It's 180. So it's both 80. <laughs> Trick question. <laughs> there were probably a lot of uh, smarter people who knew that like immediately. Yeah. But I guess that's the point of it is at the end of the day, you're getting more clicks. You're getting the same clicks to the website. But if you had to like, are we investing more into this campaign or that campaign? I guess it's, uh, I guess it's sixes. Is that what they say? No, I don't think it's sixes. So you do lean yeah. on the, uh, the open rate. The 80% open rate would yeah. definitely be better. 80 to 10. I guess a 10 is also a – I just picked bad numbers because that's a really good – I'd take 80 and 10. So, all right. Okay. Next next question. Next question. Man, still thinking about that email one. That was an interesting question. Here we go. It's my lucky number. 13. It hasn't even gone yet. Ah, dang it. 16. I guessed early. <laughs> 16. That's social media marketing. Hey, finally, something new. Okay. Social media marketing. How much time should social media marketing take each week? How much time should you spend doing social media marketing each week? As much as possible. Is that true? So if you... if you That's if a you tough were, question. I, I know it's tough. Let's change it to this. What's the minimum amount of time you should spend on social media marketing? Think, like, think about a small business. Let, let, let's, let's take this from a small business lens. Think about a small business. You know, you've got maybe one or two, 10 employees, and you have everything that goes into running a business. There's likely multiple people who are helping out with social or maybe one person who's doing social, but it's not their main job. For the people who are kind of like starting out or have a small business, what is the the least amount of time they should spend on social media? Uh, I mean, it's tough because it does vary on upon industry. If I am a online publication, I'm going to be spending a lot of time on social because that 
really is where it seems like the last rough metric I saw a rough number was a lot of these uh, big online publications get like roughly 70% of their traffic from social. So if you're seeing that, like, holy crap, we've got to double down on social. However, if you are an assisted living website where you hook up uh, seniors with different places, maybe social isn't the best. And so uh, it's hard to say time. I would say you'd, oh gosh, because there's also, it's not just schedule outposts, uh, spend enough time writing it. There's also the time of responding to comments and the time in finding other social accounts to maybe work with. So if I had to throw a number out there, I would say uh, if you're a one to four man team, you need to be spending at least a couple hours a week on social media. Okay, let, let me take the question just one step further. Please. And that is, uh, you just mentioned several elements that go into social media marketing. If you're spending two to three hours a week, which of those elements should you be spending your time on? How do you prioritize that? Um, I would say most of it, I mean, creating and analyzing, or I should say creating and optimizing uh, your, the measurement I use for success is engagement. I don't really care if you're posting six times a week or one time a week. It's all about, are people engaging and, or are people also clicking through to whatever you're wanting to do? Um, so that's what I'm, I'm spending a lot of time testing headlines, uh, getting people engaged, polls, all that kind of stuff. I don't know. That's a, all right. Well, it's a broad answer, but. Let's just mark that up as a fail. It was and a move broad on to question. question. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Let's go to the next question. I'm waiting for the, how do you rank number one? Oh, yeah? Waiting well, for that question. I don't think that's in here. Good. There's no uh, SEO specific questions on here. Because I would refuse to answer it. Really? You can't tell me how to rank number one? Uh, or how long? Is that what the question was? No, how to rank number one. Oh, yeah. What, what number did it land on? Number five. All right, number five, another social media marketing question. Does my company really need a blog for social media marketing? Yes. Yes, exclamation point. Yes. You should definitely have a blog. I'm going to I'm going to talk about one specific thing about a blog that is semi yeah, I'm going to I'm going I'm going to I'm going to take the SEO route with this, okay? So, a blog is one of the best ways to get authority to your website. Uh, most links are pointed toward blogs and link building is one of the most powerful ways to get authority to your site, but also social metrics or excuse me, social signals, right? So we're talking about social media marketing, social signals are one of the greatest and most powerful ways to get authority to your website. If I were to compare links and social signals, links have a more everlasting authority Whereas social signals have uh, authority that's more fleeting, meaning if you get a ton of shares today, your stuff is likely to rank today, right? I mean, if 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 it's new and tons of people are liking it, sharing it, uh, all, you know, all those great social metrics and signals, then you will likely see an increase in your rankings today. But then next week, those signals are fleeting and it's not as powerful and it goes away. Links are more of everlasting authority. It's kind of like, you know, you turn on the hose rather than pouring water into or from a pitcher, right? There's a finite amount of water in a pitcher, whereas a hose will go on forever. Uh, anyway, so when it comes to having a blog and social media marketing, 
You definitely want to blog so that you're publishing content, sharing that content via social channels, and then those social signals, those likes, those shares, those retweets, those repins, uh, you know, all those other fun little metrics that come from other social platforms, those go directly to that page, which strengthens the authority of that page, which in turn strengthens the authority of your entire website. That's one, I mean, that's one element of why you should have a blog. Would you say there, what else is there, Brandon? Why else would you want to blog? Blogs are, so there, I think a reason people ask this question is because most business owners, especially small ones, they try blogging and they see very little success. And in their eyes, it's, man, I put a lot of time and or money into writing this blog post. And then I had to share it on social and I've got, you know, 60 people read it. And then that was it. No one ever saw it again. Maybe I get a few more visits in the coming weeks. And so they start to doubt, is blogging even for my business? Uh, this isn't what I do. I sell this product or I do this service. Uh, the way if I, so the reason I say yes is only if you're approaching it the right way and people need to not treat all the different market marketing mediums as different areas. You've got your email strategy, you got your social strategy, your blog strategy, really it's all one funnel. So people that are struggling with blogs and, and contemplating whether or not it's worth their, the investment they need to step back and look at the customer journey, that, that, that path to becoming a customer. Usually first they're identifying either a problem in their life or with a certain situation or they see an opportunity and they start looking into this. Then they're actually investigating and then they hit a point where they're, they've decided that they need your solution um, or they need the solution that you offer. Now they're looking at competitors, competing products, and they're making that up. So you have to first map out that process, and then you figure out what content goes with that and where does social play in there. So it shouldn't all just be a bunch of separate separate strategies. You really should almost whiteboard the whole path of where are they starting, where are they finishing, what are all the different touches and points that they need, whether that's email, social. Um, where would you put the, the blog? Thing. Where would you put the blog in the funnel? Um, all of them are really – uh, uh, your typical pattern is you have a blog post that you optimize well. Uh, maybe it's great for social as well. You run some social ads around it. You're driving traffic to this blog post. And then maybe there it gives you some good, valuable educational content. And then at the end, it's uh, now take our, our personality test or download the five-step guide on how you can take this a step further. And now you've got their email. So then you've got the email in there. And I think a good email campaign really ties in with a good if you have like a crap blog, it's hard to have a crappy blog, yet a good email campaign. Usually those emails, they're not just selling people, they're, they're delivering valuable content. And so content uh, blog, I would say, should be like one of the first things that you should be working on, surprisingly. Not saying put everything off, but uh, when you have a good, healthy blog that has a lot of good content, your email marketing becomes easier and your social marketing becomes easier and your SEO becomes a lot easier because all of those other channels have something to point to. Yep. So I'll say, I'll say one last thing on this and that is one huge mistake that companies make when they are building out these different channels, whether it's email, social content, SEO, it doesn't matter. They're always trying to stuff it all at the bottom of the funnel. Meaning they send out an email and all they expect are sales, right? And there are specific metrics that they try to tie 
these campaigns to, and it's typically a CPA, CPA, right? Cost per acquisition. So if you are, if you're blogging and you're sharing it on social media, you need to recognize that each point or part of the funnel carries with it a specific metric that should be measuring that specific part of the funnel. CPAs are very, almost like the bottom of the funnel. And you should not be measuring your blog posts on a CPA basis, right? If you're putting money into your blog posts or putting money into your social promotions or boosting those posts, trying to get that into more, uh, in front of more eyes, you should not be, be looking at a CPI. Otherwise you will give up so fast because your CPIs or excuse me, your CPAs are going to be insane. So just make sure that, that your metrics that you're measuring in each part of the funnel is appropriate for that part of the funnel. The metrics you should be looking at for like a blog post or for social, Brandon's been talking about engagement. Those engagement metrics are likes, shares, uh, comments. Uh, how often are they engaging with you? Uh, am I missing anything there, Brandon? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of blog posts I've read that are really good and valuable that I never commented, I never shared. So I would say another big metric is time on page. Time on page, bounce rate. Uh, well, bounce rates. I mean, think of how many Facebook articles you've read that was really good, then you went right back to Facebook. You're almost always going to have high bounce rates. But it is, I mean, if your goal is to well, take them to another page, yeah, then yeah. Yeah, you're right. But, I mean, it is an engagement metric, right? If, yeah. if you're taking them to your page... You want them to read other articles that you've written. You want them to go to a different page kind of deeper in your architecture. Uh, yeah, if that is one of your goals, then you definitely want to look at bounce rate. Uh, another one is is uh, average number of pages visited in a single session. Uh, so those are the things that you should tie to the upper funnel because those are upper funnel metrics. Don't tie a CPA to that because then you'll be super disappointed and think that you're failing when when in reality you may you may be doing pretty well. Fair enough. Okay, next question. Man, That's long. That was That's a long old. one. Jeez. Almost thought it got stuck there. 30. <laughs> Number 30. All right. Okay, so 30 is in email marketing again. Mm, welcome back. Should I use HTML or plain text-based emails? Uh, both. I think plain text is great when you are trying to send it as a person. Hey, Rhonda, thanks for signing up for the product. My name's Brandon. I'm over product quality. Um, let me know if you have any questions about the product. I would like a text-based email that appears like it came from Brandon himself. Versus when it's a, uh, if it's like a product launch or something like that. Or if it's like templatized and it's got images everywhere and then you yeah. just have this one little paragraph that you have to like dig through all the images and pictures and, and pretty and gorgeous aspects of your your HTML email just to find this one little sentence saying, hey, thanks for joining our our uh, our book club. Uh, yep. here's, here's a link to get more information. The risk of HTML is if you go crazy... It gets caught by a lot of spam filters and there's lots of images. It's got the tables and stuff. Yeah, so the, when I do HTML emails, I like the plain and simple. Maybe you got like the a header image, a logo at the top. You got the body, the text, and then a call to action bottom, but call to action button at the bottom. That's right. So this is a good A-B testing scenario as well. Uh, if you have different types of email, like if it's a newsletter, a newsletter is a good example of, of one that you could you could test both. 
you could try a plain text and you can try throwing in some images and some HTML in there and see which one performs better. Uh, I imagine that the results will be different depending on industry, depending on who your target audience is. So test into it. But Brandon said this at the beginning, it should be both depending on the scenario. Excuse me. And I think that's dead on. I don't think more needs to be said about that. Fair enough. Fair enough, sir. What number do you think it's going to be? I don't know, but I'm sh- I, like, I want to talk more content. So between 40 and 60, I'm hoping. Mm. Seven. Seven. Oh, that's in the opposite direction. Maybe okay. The next one. This is social media marketing. Brandon, is social media marketing better for B2C or B2B businesses? Uh, B2C. You think it's uh, better? For. Yes. It's great for both, but uh, but better. But better. For B2C. Why? Easier to find success. Why? Do you agree? Oh, you're asking me why? Yeah, I'm asking why. Uh, I think just uh, when people are on social, even though you could be a business executive, when you're on Facebook, you're looking to kill some time, you're thinking as you, the person with feelings and emotions and goals and fears, you're not thinking, I'm the CEO of this company. I'm looking at my Facebook feed as the CEO. What about LinkedIn? LinkedIn, I think, is different. Uh, that's great for B two B. Obviously, you went straight. Uh, you went straight to Facebook. Yeah, I'm talking like general social. Even LinkedIn, though, like who's going on to LinkedIn looking for? Well, that was a stupid. I caught myself. I was gonna say who's going on to LinkedIn looking for B two B opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> but when I go I don't to think LinkedIn, anybody. when I go to LinkedIn, it's usually well, I don't go to LinkedIn often, but I'm killing time. Maybe I'll just find some articles that are more business related. So overall, again, I'm still sticking with B to C. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I think that uh, people, people are uh, even when you're on Facebook, you could be on uh, like in a. First of all, I think targeting on Facebook is way better, yeah. especially for the B to C, where people are putting in their interests and their location and where they're going and events they're attending, and you just have so much information that you can tie your advertisements to on a B to C level, where no other platform kind of has that. Even LinkedIn, like we've had AJ Wilcox on the show. AJ, huge shout out. AJ listens to the show. AJ does LinkedIn advertising. And he, it's so funny. He, t- he says the first thing he does when he's onboarding a client is try to convince them not to do LinkedIn. <laughs> he tries to get them to do Facebook first, which um, I, I think there's some wisdom to that, right? Because Facebook is a good tool that allows you to optimize and really hone in on your messaging. And then you take that kind of successful, the successful iterations of whatever advertisements you're making and take those to LinkedIn. And uh, I, I honestly, I think that's, I think that's pretty solid advice, but and the short answer is both. But then uh, I think you're right. It is more effective and easier with B2C, but I think there are circumstances where we're LinkedIn. I keep going to LinkedIn. Are, is there another B2B platform really? Not really. Yeah. It's kind of a silly question. All right. And if you're on LinkedIn, you're on Facebook. I think we have time for one or two more questions, depending on which one we get. Let's see. Cross your fingers for a 40 to 60 number. 53. 53. Wow. You lucked out. 53 is a content marketing question. Oh, interesting. Another B2C, B2B question. Is there a difference between B2C and B2B content marketing? Is that a weird question? Uh, it's a good question. Is it? What's, yeah, that's is what I'm, I'm thinking. I mean, I I'm, 
I don't I, have an immediate answer. Yeah, I, I hate the questions that's like yes or no. Is there a difference? Yeah, there's a difference between uh, between content. <laughs> Next question. Yeah. Uh, I think the purpose is the same, right? You're always trying to acquire new customers or new clients or whatever whatever you're measuring there or, or trying to get. But uh, the 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 way you do it is different, right? Think think about that. The way that you market to consumers is very different than the way you market to businesses. I think that you can get away with a lot more when you're marketing to consumers, right? Like you can mm-hmm. be more silly. Uh, you can have more fun. You can uh, – I even think that uh, consumers to a certain extent are more forgiving of, you know, marketing faux pas, whereas B2B, you've got to be more professional. I think that you are bound a little bit more to uh, professional language and messaging. Uh, it's, it's harder because – you almost have like it's not a person anymore that that's a part of your persona. It's a corporation. And how do you put a face and a personality on a company? Because you have no idea what the type of people are, uh, to a certain extent. I mean, you you may build a persona based on what you think uh, represents the people you're targeting. I don't know. Is that even hitting any kind of? Is that resonating with you at all? I, I'm looking at your face and not a hundred percent. So my take is that B to C. And B2B marketing, are they different? Yes, uh, but they're very similar in many ways. Uh, I would actually say that the methodology of how you go about marketing to these two different groups are very similar. Uh, I would say the difference, in my opinion, is A, obviously the targeting, uh, but B is the messaging. Uh, For example, if I'm selling – I mean, everyone's selling a product, right? Like if you're marketing, you're obviously – you have some product or service. So at the end of the day, like the goal is usually, we're not counting like Huffington Post and stuff. The goal is buy a product or a service. Uh, with businesses, the messaging goes down to the bottom line. They're looking at the ROI. If I buy your $6,000 a year subscription, how am I making more money off of that? That's the message that you need to hone in on to show them that they're losing money by not having your subscription. Whereas with consumers, it's usually not a money driven thing. It's usually a, here's a problem in your life. I, here is how you solve it. You're sick of having this happen in the shower. Well, check it out. I got a product that solves all of your problems. No one cares. Like when you're using, uh, when you're picking a shampoo, which one is going to make me feel better about myself? And then I get that promotion and this $6 investment for the shampoo is actually going to result in me getting a $5,000 raise. Hmm. You don't think about that as a consumer, but yeah, as a business, right. you are thinking about if I have to get budget approval for this, I've got to be able to show at the end of the year that this was a good investment. That's my knee-jerk reaction. Yeah, I think I think you're dead on. That, and that's a really important distinction because consumers, they spend money knowing that they're not going to make it back, right? Mm-hmm. For the most part, right? There are exceptions, Vivint being one of them, where a lot of people, that's kind of messaging like, we say you should get this smart thermostat because it'll save you monthly on your uh, utility bill, right? So that's yep. part of the messaging. Uh, get the security system because if you don't, someone breaks in, steals all your stuff, and you're out, right? You don't mm-hmm. have, So in some well, cases, would, it's true. But I would imagine with your security marketing, you're not honing in on like when someone robs your – the average person who gets robbed loses $15,000 in assets and, and stolen games and TVs and stuff. You're probably marketing more on, well, maybe not so much Vivint, but in general, it's all about the fear 
based marketing. They don't, people don't attach a value to everything. They just don't want some stranger in their home. That's what you're marketing towards. Even though you could try to do the messaging of when you get robbed, you lose this much money. That's nice, Brandon. You know, there's a word that describes that. It's called fear mongering. And we stay away from that at Vivint. Uh, is that uh, a decision you agree with? Or would you like to experiment in the fear? You know, I like that. I like that you because asked that question. Because I have purchased two different security cameras. And the thing that got me, I think, was the fear-based ads. Yeah. Uh, do I agree with it? To a certain extent, I kind of like, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, it's part of the brand, right? Where we're told, hey, listen, we're not, we're not trying to scare people into buy this. Whereas a lot of companies will. Uh, the Ring camera, mm-hmm. do, is that what you have? Yep. So they do it a lot. They show a lot. Packages being stolen, strangers oh, yeah. coming up at one in the morning looking totally. around. Oh, yeah. And, and it makes you wonder, man, is someone doing that at my house? And you know, it works. It works. Uh, I think there's kind of a moral thing behind that, though, you know? Is that immoral, you're saying? I feel like playing on people's emotions in that way. I mean, we're marketers. That's what we do, right? If someone ha- just had a baby and we're, we're advertising happiness of having you're kind of doing the same thing you're playing on the emotions of of happiness uh i don't know yeah that's that's a that's one of those lines that's like if you cross it there are so many it's like a slip it feels like a slippery slope you know but you're also like you could argue maybe we're going too long on this but you could argue that you're there is an unfortunate situation an unfortunate fear that people already have you're simply providing a solution you could look at life insurance it's always what's going to happen if you die to your wife and kids. Yeah, are no, they going to be taken you're right. care of? You're right. like, I, I, oh, don't, I don't. I don't disagree that it's effective, and I don't disagree that that uh, it wouldn't work. What I'm saying is, uh, that's kind of assumed, right? People are getting a security system. Why are they getting a security system? Because they don't want people to come into their house. So uh, I, I don't know. We don't do it. I haven't put a lot of thought into it because that's not an avenue that uh, that is available to us. But uh, anyway, what question was that anyway? B2B versus B2C. Oh, yeah. And Vivint is already kind of making the play for a smart home automation company. Yeah, that's true. Which is much bigger than just home security, which makes sense. I would never look at Ring as smart home automation, even though they, I think, have available products. But because of their marketing, you think of them as camera. All right, we'll do another one here. Yeah, let's do one more. All right, 50. Wow. All right, last one, content marketing. The question is, how important are keywords in content marketing? I'm glad we're ending on this one, actually, because that's kind of that kind of has kind of an SEO element to it, which I think we are pretty strong in. Uh, we just have a few minutes here, but I want to talk about this because this has come up at Vivint specifically, uh, keywords in content marketing. And I have a content marketing manager and I have an SEO manager. And we just had a conversation the other day about how we can better collaborate between the two groups. And one of the best ways we can do it is through this, the research that my SEO manager is doing for our, our website optimization. We want to optimize our website for search engines. We do our research to find out which keywords are doing the best. And typically, <clears throat> you have I mean, you've got different types of keywords, right? You've got your head keywords, the chunky middle, and then you've got your long tail keywords. And the way we kind of split it up is 
our SEO manager is kind of taking possession and ownership over the head and chunky middle keywords. And then he's passing off the long tail keywords to our content marketing manager, who then creates content to attract visitors and traffic to those specific keywords. And what's really cool about that is that because it's based on the same research, the campaigns are aligned, right? So my SEO manager is building and creating content for our core website, whether it's product pages, category pages, or otherwise on the core website. And then he passes off the exact same data and and research to our content guy who then takes that research and builds content around the same research for our longer uh, longer tail keywords for the blog, for our social channels. And then what happens is you now have research contributing to different parts of the funnel. So my content guy, he's building content that captures and educates people on specific aspects of the company or the product, and they then go down the funnel to maybe a product page to get more information, and that content or that copy is aligned with what my co- my content guy was writing, and it's all part of one experience that takes them down the funnel and finally to the, 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 the point of acquisition where from start to finish, they're experiencing and receiving information all from the same research that was done and distributed to different channels. And, and that's one example of SEO and content. But you could take that same research and give it to the paid people, and they could take the research and put it into their ad copy, which would be good. You know why? Because your ad copy is tied to a quality score, and your quality score is based on how relevant the ad is to the copy on the page. I mean, that, I mean that's part of it. Mm-hmm. And if you're aligned on the same research – Boom, your quality score goes up, your cost goes down, your click-through goes up, your engagement goes up, your your uh, CPAs go down. I mean, all the great metrics that you're looking at improve. Did I cover, cover pretty much it all? You covered all and more. Wow. I don't even know how I could add to that. But, yes, I would say it's very important. And I think Jacob did a pretty good job at demonstrating why. <laughs> wow. I've never been in a situation where Brandon doesn't have more to contribute. I can't add more to that. All right. Well, that's. did you want to do one more or you, you want to cut it off? I'm good with either. Cool. Let's cut it off because we're out of time. Hey, this episode was awesome. We got, we got comments on the last time we did Digital Marketing Roulette. We got some really great feedback. This is likely something to come back every few weeks. I think it's been, I guess it's been a few months since we did it last uh, give us your feedback. If you've liked this episode, if this has been useful, please reach out. We'd love to hear about it. Uh, if you have other segments in mind or other topics, we really, really would love to create content in a way that is consumable and enjoyable to you as a listener. Let us know. If you've enjoyed this episode, we, we would ask and invite you to leave a review on iTunes or any other podcasting platform that you're listening to. You can reach out to us on Twitter, our handle is at below the fold IO. Otherwise, that's it. We'll catch you next week below the fold. Excellent.